0: Big news for me, mm? Laura. Um, I am retiring from writing. <laughs> it's over. I am, I'm retiring. I won't say on top because I haven't actually gotten anywhere. Uh huh. Um, but it's done. I will. You finished not, your book. I did finish the book. Um, well, finish the book is not really the way we should phrase this. I finished a draft of a manuscript. Um, and Can I just say
1: that my favorite thing about you finishing your draft of your manuscript is that even though I've been bothering you about this book for literally four years, yeah. you sent me like a breathy five-page or like a five-paragraph essay about why I should read it.
0: I think that breathy is a little strong. He was
1: breathy. He um, was pretty breathy.
0: Hmm. Well, we'll pick that up offline. Uh, <laughs> no, um, no, it's... Um, I'm
1: actually very excited to read it.
0: You shouldn't be. Um, but, yeah, that's that's done. So now I don't have to write anything ever again. Ever which again. is going to free up more time to do posts. Um, that's going to be good. Which is technically writing. Technically it is writing. Um, but it's NaNo copy Rymo, writing, you know. nano postmo. Um, It's good. So I guess I did technically do something this November. I guess everyone else listening to this, perhaps a good sizable chunk of our listenership is also doing NaNoWriMo. We wish you luck with that as it wraps up.
1: Or as I like to call it, pre-Decembo.
0: That's right. Uh, We're getting closer to it, folks. I'm going to go buy that computer mouse tomorrow uh, so that I can actually do the memes. That'll be a real hoot. A hoot and a half, perhaps. A hoot hoot and a half, I'll tell you. A
1: hoot and a half. (laughs)
0: um but yeah so
1: you finished
0: i finished that that's good i don't really know what to do with myself like i know 10
1: pounds lighter but i'm not sure if it's that or if it's that you cut your hair
0: well it's a little both five (laughs) pounds of hair five pounds of shitting out this manuscript (laughs) and with that we're here to say welcome to this episode of print run my name is Eric kane with me as always laura zatz say hello laura hello laura um, we were off last week, so we've got a little bit of catching up to do. We'll I try to, sick. We'll try to cover some things um, that we, I know everyone was kind of excited to hear us talk about um, last time through, but we've got a pretty good show for you today. It's a long one, I think. I guess we'll see what happens. It feels like a robust episode It to does.
1: Me. It feels meaty.
0: Um, which meaty. is good because like we're a fine, all... Like a like, fine Reuben.
1: I was going to say <laughs> like a fine wine. I was prepared for that. Well, considering that we're all going to be digging in to your various turkeys or Uh tofurkeys if you are in the united states Uh um if you are not in the united states you'll probably just be digging into your regular meals this week but considering that we're all going to be having a very tryptophan infused weekend um having a meaty episode is nice so like as you are as you are ignoring your family members i
0: believe we've given that that advice before yeah yeah just listen
1: to us instead
0: yeah um, ignore your family, listen to the bird. Uh, we, should, we should make, like, our revised slogan. You know how we have that, like... I feel like we never actually say the slogan of the show. Have you noticed that? We made up this whole catchy thing when we first started. What's it? Between the covers. What? What is it? It's between beyond the covers between the lines that's remember, good it took you three tries I know, to get cause, there because like, we never say it but it's like on the website and like on our logo and it stuff is. but um so if any if actually if people could start working that into their posts at us um it would be really helpful and it would make me feel better about the branding of this uh two-bit podcast so <laughs>
1: hey hey the branding uh, is impeccable you are currently drinking a manhattan out of a loon branded glass It's not our loon, but it is a loon. Yeah,
0: I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, um, this among them. (laughs) But, um, so... I don't know, how about before we get to any of the big, heady topics of the day, uh, you give us the basic rundown.
1: Yeah, so we will have three special episodes for you um, in between now and Thanksgiving. We're super excited that it will include a query show, a first pages show. Both of those are submitted by real listeners and critiqued by real us Mm -hmm. over on Patreon. And then we have a third special episode. Quite honestly, all of you very much listened to us last episode when we begged for... um, ideas for the special episode and we got like six different emails about it so we're gonna be um pitting those ideas against each other in like a yeah yeah, in like a in like the octagon sort Mm -hmm. of situation that classic Um,
0: six-sided shape the octagon
1: yep (laughs) anyway um we might pick one we might mash them together I don't know, I've got mashed potatoes on the brain, so it's happening. Um, we'll see. We'll kinda we'll 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 feel loose. We'll you know, and if anybody, you know, we've got about a day in between you listening to this and when we record it. So that third special episode, if you desperately need to know something. Mm-hmm. Just send us an email at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Same as if you want us to critique your query, sh- query or your first page. Um, and, of course, you can always listen to the critique of that query or first page and everybody else's at Patreon.
0: So, you and I were chatting earlier today. Which and really, we often do. <laughs> and really, for much of the last year, about a very specific thing that you and I rail about on the Internet quite a lot. Um, and we actually, believe it or not, before we switch this episode off, we are going to talk about it in a slightly different way. But um, And that is the proliferation of just books that we can all agree are garbage. Yes. Right? Like this very specific, like, for, I mean, let's just put our cards the on the table. And
1: nonfiction books yeah, that yeah, we all agree this that are This last garbage.
0: week, I mean, and we'll get to the book specifically in a second. But uh, Donald Trump Jr. Um, has a book out called Triggered. I don't know if you saw. I'm sure that you have. It was a bestseller, Can after all. Can we
1: pause for a second and talk about, like, how everything right now put out by middle-aged white men is called Triggered?
0: That is. Like,
1: there's, like, yeah. 18 comedy specials called yeah. that.
0: It's, yeah. it's
1: insane. It's
0: really, it's funny. It is a very comedy special name of a thing. Like if, you, like, if you're, like, someone who gets, if you're, like, one of these specific kinds of dudes who, you know, maybe someone, like you know, owns you in a reply on a tweet, mm-hmm. you're definitely like 72 hours away from recording a comedy special called Triggered where you own the libs and yep. like try not to, try to fend off a heart attack like on stage. Like <laughs> it's, it's definitely the a word that I really, it does, it does actually have like a meaning, but it is not the meaning that conservatives have ascribed to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but.
1: His book. This with book. a truly horrendous um, <laughs> subtitle as well.
0: It's a very bad subtitle. I don't even know what it is. So it's something bad. It word. You but, can look um, it up. It's. We actually aren't going to start there. We want to start with just kind of this basic idea of like, how does this happen? Why is this sort of thing continuing to happen? And more than like, as you and I were debating this topic earlier today, we were like, well, what can we say about it? Because it was in the news. There was a big article um, about it. We learned that, for instance, that the Republican uh, National Committee um, put in $100,000 in a bulk order for it, which is why it's a number one bestseller. All these things. That... What
1: that means, Eric, the, the most important take <laughs> it, for you listeners, the most important take out of all of this is that what Donald Trump Jr. should have named his book is Handbook for Republicans.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it does feel like that Lonnie which, Sarum book. Yeah, it? the, it's... yeah,
1: the yeah the Laney Sarum book where she yeah. like – Convinced all of her Hollywood friends to buy tons of books that, and then she was at the number one bestseller for the New York Times. God, and then, remember when we
0: were doing that? Those were better days. Those were on better this days. Show. Not that I mean, maybe not on the show, but just like in terms of content. Yeah. Now that we've like backslid all the way to whatever our current cultural moment is, it was more fun when we were scamming the New York Times list with like fun fantasy novels as opposed to as opposed this. to triggered. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. um, yeah,
1: but it's essentially the same thing. Um, so. Donald Sarum Junior <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> or
1: Laney Trump Junior. Yeah. I don't I don't know. Like something like that.
0: Yeah. Um yeah.
1: yeah. So basically there was this there was this great little um like marker next to the number one slot on the New York Times bestseller list this week that shows that a huge number of those sales came from bulk orders.
0: Conservatives are really having a field day with that, by the way. They were, yeah. There were a bunch of them who were like, oh, wow, look, another conspiracy theory. Look, Looks like the liberal failing New York Times wants to, like, put a little notation because it's a conservative book at the top. And it's – I mean, these people have obviously all lost their minds. But, like, um, it is funny that no one can just interpret the basic, like, key – you know, like which is, is at what... the bottom
1: of of the <laughs> <Yeah>. bestseller list.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but um, before besides that, like I mean, there's the very obvious take, right? Which like these books happen because of money and power, and we Ooh. sort of reached that point today. And you and I had the very standard back and forth. But you actually raised a really interesting kind of different angle to this, which is the idea of like I mean, we initially phrased it as like fact versus opinion,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we sort of settled, I think, closer to something like fact versus disinformation. But so talk talk me through what you were thinking when you saw this.
1: Yeah, so um, in Vanity Fair uh, this week or was it last week, um, Maris Christman published a a book or an article that's basically like it's a good read, but it mostly is just like a place to bring links to give you a larger picture. Um, And in that article, you know, she interviews a lot of different you know shadowy like publishing underdogs. Yeah, yeah. big five who won't give their names. And there's like a big point in there where somebody working at the Big Five is like, well, yeah, the the reason that a book like this is coming out is just because like, you know, we don't we we don't really fact check anymore. There's not really like fact checking and that's not an element in the kind of the acquisitions process. And if we had that, these types of books wouldn't be published.
0: So let me give you the quote. We actually have it here, Let's, so we have it on the record. So this is um person's named um, this is from a piece again, like just so that we cite it, so that you can go read it because it is a worthwhile piece. It's called "Why the Publishing Industry Just Can't Quit Donald Trump Jr. and Company." Um, it's in Vanity Fair. It's by Maris Krasman, um, friend of the podcast. <laughs> we we are fans of Maris on this show. Um, so here's the quote: It's from Kimberly Burns, who is um, a publicist of Broadside, which is a conservative imprint, um, and you know she says as follows. The problem is when authors write things only to get themselves attention or to make news instead of to enhance a dialogue. If publishers are going to continue to cash in, as they have been, it's time for those publishers, certainly the big five publishers, to bring in fact checkers and more copy editors. Um, so that's that's the quote we've got right. uh, from this post, And on its face, as you're about to tell us, it makes... It makes a certain amount of sense. Sure. Right. And like
1: we've talked on this podcast before about how <clears throat> publishing isn't doing fact checking right. and about how that's hurting a lot of things.
0: We do agree with the basic premise here, yeah.
1: Books should be fact checked if they're nonfiction. <laughs> that's hot take.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs>
1: right. Um, yeah, we agree with the basic premise, but there's something interesting that happened there. And I kind of want to like pull away from this particular book um and talk more about the idea of like what facts mean in the writing industries right now. Right. So we've um if if you've been, you know, following news at all, you've noticed that there is this huge rhetoric particularly around this presidency um about fake
0: news. Right.
1: Right, and to the point where people are now grabbing that and kind of using it as a shield.
0: The term is totally diffused at this point. Yeah, it's
1: totally diffused at this point, and a lot of people are, like, and the idea that we see our president claiming that things are fake news that are fact-checked and claiming that things are true that aren't fact-checked and kind of all of this stuff, what it's done is it's really kind of given people permission to, like, weaponize the idea of fake news or fake information or fake truths yes as a way to um like a, as a way as a way to reject things that they personally don't like mm-hmm. um it's a way for them to spread disinformation or opinions as facts it's a way for that to happen and, it, and it's honestly like if if you know a run of the mill like lay person is being is is kind of fallen into that trap like it's a very understandable rhetorical trap to fall into it's something that's coming it's very nefarious um, and we've seen a lot of this be pushed even further by the fact that a lot of journalists are losing their specific job they're like losing their their newsroom jobs right. they're kind of these whole industries that are being put under pressure by this by this rhetoric coming from the highest office in our nation
0: media credibility as an institution is at a is at a very low point right now right because of things like this right yeah. and
1: so the idea of fact checking like that used to carry some weight mm-hmm. and i and you know like amongst certain people it still does but there has kind of been this shift where the power behind facts and things that are fact checked and things that are objectively true
0: mm-hmm.
1: and <clears throat> I, I mean, I was calling it opinion, but Eric rightly pointed out that that it that it, you know, a lot of people pushing disinformation, it's disinformation yeah. don't necessarily believe in it. They're using it for you know nefarious or powerful. For, yeah. yeah, right. But so, um, people pushing disinformation like that, the ability to do that and just to be the biggest voice in the room and to really push on that, um, that has that has taken precedence the the more that you are furious about something the more that you believe in it the more theoretically the more that you believe in it all of that like that that suddenly holds more weight now Mm -hmm. um and so when that extends to publishing right we see budget cuts you know the authors now have to do their fact checking and they and you know in the contracts we're seeing that publishers are not liable for any sort of misinformation there's indemnity clauses up the wazoo because the onus of truth is
0: no longer on the publisher it's no longer on
1: the publisher and so then what (laughs) what's happening is we are like reacting to this this overarching kind of system and instead of fighting back against that, we're basically rolling over and we being like book publishing. Yeah. Right. Because we're rolling over and instead of saying, no, we still believe in like fact checking, like that is still something valuable. We're only going to put out things that are uh, that are true. Right. Um, instead of doing that. We're rolling over and saying, well, I guess we're we have to we have to do these things because fact checking isn't really a thing. And I guess, you know, maybe we probably should. But that would like the how did I how did I like how am I framing it? Like the the idea that we have to publish like our best sellers have to be shitty Mm -hmm. because we can't afford to fact check is like this incredible logical twist
0: (laughs) well there's part (laughs) part of it i think has to do with um this idea that's posited by this person that we just quoted that the idea that we want books from all parts of the ideological spectrum right right like we need like it's fair and balanced it's the classic like well we got to hear both sides thing right right and the truth is that both sides are not telling the truth equally and so when you weigh those sides equally what you're saying is that if a right winger with enough clout makes a forceful enough argument, we have to take that at the same value. Uh, you know, like the fact-checking aspect gets skewed here, and so and mm-hmm. it's like, and because we are now in this point where, like, you're right on any given story, like there's two versions of the quote unquote. I mean, there aren't actually two versions of the truth, but like, I feel like a lot of people look at the media and think, well you know, I, I don't know who to trust. I don't know if I should trust the, you know, the left wing news side or the right wing news side, I guess it's just somewhere in between, or it's unknowable, you know, like, the point is, like, we've kind of reached a point where the correct thing and the not correct thing have sort of been weighed equally, you know, and it creates the situation where, um, yeah, like, there's no, like, the idea of, like, it allows for the media institution, in this case a publisher, to abdicate the responsibility of fact-checking mm-hmm. onto the author, and like I think that that's—I mean, obviously that's incredibly dangerous. And like there's you know so there's another quote here in this article to kind of get into the main thought I had on this piece, or not on this piece, but on the on the concept at large here. Um, and this is from someone who, a representative from Penn America. Here we go. We stand for everyone's right to speak write, and publish their views, a representative from the organization tells VF. At the same time, we have grave concerns about the broader atmosphere of hostility and denigration toward the press, much of which is very alarmingly coming from or being stoked by the president. But we must find solutions to this challenge that do not themselves threaten freedom of expression. We do urge the application of traditional publishing practices of editing and fact-checking. And so... Like, it's just this – I want to talk for a second about mm-hmm. fact-checking. Yep. And I want to talk about fact-checking in relation to power because, again, like, I think anyone looking at this situation can agree that it is not the fact-checker's job to stop Donald Trump Jr. from publishing a book, right? <laughs> like, if you, are, if you are a publisher and you have bought and signed a contract – with someone like that or with Ann Coulter or with Milo Yiannopoulos or with, you know, Bill O'Reilly or any of these people who just write
1: that are woefully (laughs) spreaders of disinformation. Yeah.
0: I don't even know what the word you would even call this kind of book is, but like someone like that, if you're signing a contract with them, you are not so like the fact checking is not a major concern of yours. You know what I mean? Like you are, and it is not that employee of your company's job to, like rein in that book, like because like you know I haven't read I believe it or not Laura I haven't actually read Donald Trump Jr.'s book yet, um but it's you know I'm gonna assume that there are it's some, being universally
1: some, panned <laughs>
0: I'm gonna assume there are some inaccuracies in there but um like the point is like and the, and this is the key thing that I really want to get at and it's about this but it's also just about something broader it's about a broader I think very liberal impulse um, with regard to like how to, like we're kind of confronted with this problem right now, where a big portion of the political spectrum isn't all that interested in presenting arguments that are truthful, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's this liberal idea, and I'm sure we've talked about this on the show before, but it's something I think is really important, and we've gotten new listeners becoming since, more
1: important too so,
0: yeah, all the time. And I just want to get at it again, like there's this major liberal assumption that if you're just if you are the side that is correct on the information if you're the one who like almost like it's a debate club thing right like if you're the side who can present the information more accurately if you're the side who can make the more airtight logical case then you will be the winner and the and some debate judge somewhere will say yep this side is true this side is false everyone will be able to look for themselves and see which side is true and false and you will thus gain power accordingly um and i just i cannot emphasize enough how that is just not how it works and how when you are, and it just comes from this fundamental assumption from people who are center left Mm -hmm. and most of publishing, I believe, I think it's fair to say is center left. Um, like there's this assumption that comes that you are arguing against an opponent Who is arguing in good faith right like conservative you know maybe you're someone who doesn't think conservatives have the right ideas you know you're a liberal you think that conservatives are you know they're mistaken on things they are they have ideas that you know you disagree with and you you want to debate them and and that kind of leads to this idea of fact checking right it's like if i just like prove them wrong like if Mm -hmm. i win the debate then somehow we'll win and my point to you i just hope anyone listening to this who kind of fits that category just take this into consideration you are not arguing against someone who was trying to have a debate with you you are not arguing with someone who's trying to argue in good faith donald trump jr is not trying to make cogent political points in this book neither are any of these other people we've mentioned and which means that fact checking is actually something that is not going to help you and in fact could worsen your cause like the way to approach the way to approach like dealing with someone like this or anyone else who just gets a book deal to lie you know sarah huckabee sanders recently john bolton is going to get a book deal. any of these people like if by the time you're fact checking them they've already won seriously like you have to like you have to look at the material circumstances up front because if you're spending the time saying oh this claim is wrong this claim is wrong this claim is wrong like truly i mean you know maybe they'll humor you a little bit but their stuff's already out there. Like you they've already won. Like they're already going to publish the book. They're already going to put their ideas in the public. You cannot fact and this is maybe the sentence. You cannot fact check a fascist. You can't. And they welcome it. The whole it's a political ideology that bases itself on disinformation and contradiction. It does not it is not supposed to make sense. It is not going to make sense and in fact it would like to draw you in to trying to point out the contradictions rather than fighting it with force. And the idea and
1: that fact checking is is going to save this whole system of of taking on you know morally dubious and definitely yeah. intellectually infantile projects right. is is like is like asking i mean it's like asking a proofreader to completely rewrite a book or it's like asking somebody yes. to like stick like having a fact checker it's like that's the solution to this whole problem it's like sticking a finger into a into a dam like it's not going to hold for very long and it's not going to hold at all
0: well just like imagine if i'm standing outside your house i'm going to try for a for an image here we'll see how i do you can go outside right now i'm retired from writing so this this might go poorly but um (laughs) let's just say laura that i'm standing outside your house with a fire hose Okay. And I'm just spraying through your screen window. Yeah. And I'm just spraying it and spraying it and spraying it. Your whole house is getting waxed. It's coming through the screen. And your impulse, you're, the first person you're mad at about that is someone who didn't shut the window. Mm. No, 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 no. The person spraying the house is me. Like, <laughs> get mad at me. Make me I'm turn always off. mad
1: at you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, the problem in this situation is the person with the hose. You know what I mean? Like, and you cannot ask like the stopgap measure the little check and balance that liberals are are always looking for it is not you have to start earlier and like so you know i read this article you know this this vanity fair piece and it's it's really good and i just and i like that it brings in you know these different perspectives because it's interesting to see what people are saying And i guess anyone you know who's quoted in this piece i would just respectively urge them to think Bigger, Like, to think about, like, by the time the book makes it to a fact-checker, we're no longer arguing about the premise of any book. Like, right. a fact-checker's job is to, like, tell you if the thing that happened in 1876 actually happened in 1867. You know what I mean? Like, we're not – it's – we're done. Like, the, the argument's been won. And so it's just tricky. Like, I think that it's – like, there's not really a criticism here because I think that anyone, you know, quoted in these things is, like –
1: They're doing what they can. They're trying
0: to think through. No, no, I mean, it's like it's the impulse is correct. And you and I would, I think, both agree and have agreed, especially like thinking about like the Naomi Wolf book, like and lots of other instances in that are mentioned in this piece. Like there are lots of liberal books that have all sorts of fact checking issues, too, um, that need them. But that it's different than coming with a presence, with a premise. Like I'm writing a book that is just fundamentally dishonest and fundamentally about something. That is not designed to be true, but is rather designed to inflame a certain por- portion of the population. Like, that's different. And that needs to be, that is not a factual issue. That is a political power issue. And it needs to be treated as such.
1: Related to power, mm-hmm. I want to move us on to talk about writing contests. Um, so I was very recently made aware of a particular, well, it's a – it's a contest, but the the people who are running the contest aren't calling it a contest. They're calling it sort of a, an incubator. Mm-hmm. And this particular contest is for the um, romance genre and is specifically aimed at writers of marginalized backgrounds. Okay? And it's only open to writers of marginalized backgrounds mm-hmm. who belong to a certain professional um, organization. Okay. And... The rules of that organization very clearly state that only people who are unpublished or who have sold less than, what is it? 10,000 10, copies per, per, per book, book. Um, can yeah. apply. And it is some sort of like incubator program. They'll, they're will they basically having the conversations that a writer will have once they're under contract for work for hire. Mm-hmm. Um, and the book will be published by the the people who are running this contest and um the the royalties which are non-negotiable
0: that's the truth. are part yeah
1: name. the the royalties and the the contract which is non-negotiable and they're they're arguing against like using an agent um are actually below industry standard sure and so the and obviously like as an agent i've got warning bells all up the wazoo like this particular contest Is really like it feels really predatory, not only because of the below standard and the not able to, you know, the kind of not using an agent and having, you know, below industry standard, but also particularly because this particular contest is, well, claiming that it's not won, but is aiming at. Writers of marginalized backgrounds who haven't had certain commercial success, which might close other doors that might otherwise be available to them. It's designed
0: to take away leverage. Right. And so, like, just just to, like, summarize Opportunity
1: in terms of leverage.
0: Just to, like, summarize it in terms of Frasier so I know what's going on here. There's a contest here that only allows you to apply Mm -hmm. if you are someone who's kind of starting out, you know, early on or hasn't had the big commercial success. And the prize for winning is a non-negotiable book contract that is below instruction. That and, it, and you can't have an agent involved to do it. Correct. Yeah, that's no good. So, um, and
1: like obviously, <laughs> like I mean, there's not a ton to say about that particular contest other than like it's predatory. Don't do it. Right. But it made it so it started. It started to to make me think about contests and other avenues towards being published. So we've on this podcast before have talked about things like pitmad and dv pit and mm-hmm. all of these and conferences and all of these other play- ways that you can circumvent this lush pile and find agents or publishing deals that way. However,
0: mm-hmm.
1: my question that I would like to kind of explore on air with you Eric is Like, is the premise of a sort of, like, contest or seeking out or incubating authors outside of a normal slush pile or kind of working relationship, is that, like, fundamentally predatory? Is it fundamentally flawed? If not, what is... The way to actually go about that, because you and I talk about all the yeah, time, yeah. like how we have like these dreams. Yeah, we want to do stuff like of being this, yeah. able to just be like, "Hey, yeah. you write really cool stuff. I want to see what you can do with your book here. Like, have rent for three months so, and see what right, happens." So the
0: question is like, what is the best way to do something like this? Right. And for me, it's like the issue arises in the restrictions here. Okay. Talk like, to talk to because, me more like, about that. On the on the one hand, like you've got. Um, like, it's, it's cool to be able to submit to a contest assuming that submitting is free. First, you know, I don't like... Sure. I do not like submission fees at all. You shouldn't either. Um, you submit to a contest. If you win, you get, you know, a certain amount of money and some publication. Assuming that, you know, you're applying because theoretically that sounds good to you, like you'd like to be published <laughs> by... The, you know what I mean? Like, if, right. it's, if there's a publication thing involved, like, you're trying to, you know, win this thing. That's all fine and good. The part where I get real itchy... About this thing in particular, is the is the stuff with the terms, right? Like the idea that you could quote unquote that you would sign a that you would sign it, you would be forced really to sign a contract. I guess you could just theoretically win the contest and then say no, I don't agree to your terms and back out, whatever. Right. But like,
1: but then you the, don't get the, the con- prize, right?
0: But winning the contest in like in taking the reward involves signing a contract that is fundamentally unfair and does not allow you to have representation Mm -hmm. at a stage in your career where both those things would be really nice, you know? And like that sort of restriction is where I get irritated. You know, and it's like, what's the best way to do something like this? What's the best way to get money to writers who need it? And to me, the answer it's it's not that you don't want structure. Mm -hmm. Like I would believe in like you know they have to produce a certain number of whatever or they have to not even, that maybe that that's even too strong but like they, they are like responsible for some amount of work you know like is as like a part of this you know a fellowship or whatever it is um but it's when you're taking it's when you're like publishing them like when you're making it a commercial maybe that's what it is like when you're I making about, it a
1: converse, commercial venture right
0: when you're making it something where someone is stands to profit off the work you know um like, that's where I get a little bit – that that doesn't make me feel very good. And so, like, for me, the way to do something like this would be to set up a contest and whatever. You yeah, have people submit. But, like, I don't necessarily like um, – because, it, like, the contest thing is so shady here because it really does – the
1: slush pile is, like, a contest it tur- anyway. Yeah, it turns
0: your slush <laughs> pile into a competition and you think you've, like – actually, yeah, that's like, – uh, what you just said is perfect – The slush pile, in a way, is a competition anyway. So, like Laura, you've got a stack of manuscripts right now.
1: It's like larger than I would care to admit. It's not, Yes.
0: it wouldn't be that hard for me to say, to frame it and say, the winner of Laura's slush pile, of all these people who have entered, the winner gets to be on Laura's list. They get to do all this stuff. And you you should
1: be so lucky. And you,
0: exactly. Like you, (laughs) and you could see how that kind of framing that trumps it up as a victory could take away your leverage to negotiate. Right. Where you could say
1: instead of mm, right. hey I read your stuff thank you for right. submitting to me I would like to work with you let's discuss yes. what that would look like yes. and then giving you the power to either accept or reject.
0: Exactly. So like or or just like, yeah, exactly. It's the taking away the leverage here that I don't that I really don't like. And so like if I'm trying to set up a prize that gets money to people, mm-hmm. I'm not taking away anyone's like I'm not claiming publishing rights. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm not like it, the publication thing is tough to me, honestly. Like it's tough to, and you see it a lot with like poetry. Like a, you know, poet, and yes. in a way that I think actually kind of works. Like, but that's a different market than I think a lot of this kind of stuff. And um, even there, like in poetry, you see a lot of shady stuff, like submission fees or you know, bad contracts. You know, I've certainly dealt with those before. Um,
1: well, it's hard yeah. because there's there's this like, like when you have a contest. There's an additional level of awareness. You know, you get to claim that you won a contest or you won an award. And there's there's kind of that additional um, there's there's that additional like interest around that. Yeah. And so like for me, I think like. For me, I think if there is a contest, it. It should be less for access and more for resources. Yes. Um, so what I yes, mean. Yes, so what yes. I mean by Very that good. is instead Very of good. hey you are applying for this contest, and if you win you get published, it should be hey you're applying for this thing. If you get chosen, you will get a mentor so that you will have the information and the resources yeah. to make the right decisions for you.
0: To me, that's the way to do it as well. Like you got to have. Um, like this should be liberating, right? You know what I right. mean? Like it shouldn't be restricting. It should be the sort of thing where someone says, I'm going to give you the means to do the work you'd like to do. To level up. Exactly. As opposed to saying, you you take this prize and this is now your avenue. Right. Like I, I like that a lot less, especially, and I guess it would be one thing if, like a lot of it is just the, is the non-negotiable terms because I do think that there's a version of this where it's like, you publish with us, like the the prize is, you get to publish a book with us, and publishing a book with us involves a perfectly industry standard fair contract that um, you can or you know, better
1: than honestly, yeah, if like you're doing be, a contest and you're committing to one avenue, I want yeah. those terms to be way fucking better. Well,
0: you know, do you know why you want that, Laura? Because you're an agent, <laughs> and because and you're someone who thinks like that. That's and they, true. And they have told they have told you that you're not allowed to be involved in this, and so it's it's just. Any- I want
1: 50% for ebooks. <laughs> yeah.
0: I just mean like it's you've got to do away like that sort of restriction. The red tape there makes me a little bit crazy. Like and I think that like when people start throwing around predatory in terms of contests and things like that like that usually comes down to the idea of like is someone being exploited here? Mm-hmm. And you're being exploited if you're getting if you're being paid and you know, you're, or you're being compensated in whatever way, much less than what your labor is worth. Right. And that's what's happening here. Right. And they're taking away your ability to make that. They're taking not away the your case. power. And so, um, like grants can be really good in that regard because they're not actually like they're giving you money to produce the work that you can then go sell, mm-hmm. as opposed to, and it just it comes back to that idea, like publishing. Get so far in an exploitative way by selling the dream. Yeah. You know, like, the only way something like this works is if publishing your book is something that everybody, like, if people were just talking about selling their labor for something that wasn't a book they wrote, I feel like this would make no sense. <laughs> like, but because it's the thing that you dream of doing, that it's, you know, this thing that you just be so lucky for anyone to want to, you know, publish your book... Um, it can kind of and that's who they're targeting with the you can't have yeah. sold that many copies yet you can't have you know been traditionally published all this kind of stuff like and it's, it's worth it yeah. it's
1: worth it to mention also that the the promise of getting to work one on one with the publisher with yeah. having mentors with all of this stuff um And they're still giving you below standard. Like that seems like a really great bonus. Like somebody very feasibly without a lot of experience and a lot of clout in this industry could look at that and say, well, I'm willing to take lower royalties because I get this one-on-one time and I get the support. Well, guess what happens when you are a working writer in publishing And somebody asks you to work one-on-one with your editor and to have sort of mentorship support. That is called IP. It's work for hire and they pay you more. they pay you
0: more. They pay you
1: more because –
0: Real quick, why do they pay you more?
1: They pay you more um, because it's – you're basically selling your copyright to them. So you're producing – so you're developing the idea with – the 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 house basically or with the editor yeah. a lot of the times the editor will come to you with a really bare bones idea you'll kind of f- collaborate with them and it'll be their they'll own the copyright and they'll own all like the sub rights and you know kind of what that spread looks like depends on what particular thing but because you're paying that copyright, even though you're doing more collaboration, you're learning more, you're working more one-on-one with that particular editor or that particular system right. within that property, right. you get paid more. Right. Like Like, that, that is kind of the big thing. It's like, okay, if we took away the fact that this is a brand new author, how much would they actually be getting paid? Yep. And the answer is probably double. Yep. Double yep. than what somebody would do is if they finished their book on their own and then they came to you. Yep. And you bought it all finished because IP
0: understands that what they are buying from you, yes, which they're is buying like creative, your copyright, the, which is like creative control, which is copyright, all these things that are worth something. That contests like this try to tell you are not worth something. Right.
1: Yeah. So, so all of that is to say, we will be working. If you have any ideas, any ideas for the print run contest <laughs> of whatever sort. <laughs> um.
0: In all seriousness, <laughs> though, so like we have no, so just be, because we're like bantering about it on air now like we have no designs yet but you know people donate to us on patreon like we are we are starting to i think foster a little bit of a community around this show in a way that we obviously like our core mission is to like turn things you know we've got the agency now like trying to like turn things around and make it about supporting writers right and
1: giving writers power right exactly and
0: like we're interested in figuring out how to throw those resources around, you yeah. know, and so we're thinking about it. We're working on it. We can develop
1: something. Like, and we
0: love to hear thoughts. Yeah. Like, if you have thoughts on how best to do that, we want to hear from you. Truly, we do. But
1: yeah, fundamentally, we're just at a point of. I wonder what this would look like. Yeah, and no. we would love to hear what it would look like for you. And I
0: will say, like, the reason we, the reason we'll go slow on it is because we are not going to do it irresponsibly, <laughs> and we're not going to do it in a way that is like. You know, there's a lot of leg work, leg work to do. Yeah. But anyway,
1: let's go to the to loon. It may concern. Please
0: read to me the loon. This one That I may concern.
1: <laughs> you are concerned, very concerned. <laughs> um, this one is a definite nod at. It's my fault that we missed last week. I was sick. Um, with an adult ear infection, which folks would not recommend.
0: My puppy just had an ear infection. I know. He's, I he's warned 11 you, months old. I warned you like yeah. two
1: months before it happened. Just saying. Um, but so anyway. We'll discuss off air. <laughs> this is this is a Taloon for all of you who are logged on onto Twitter. Mm-hmm. Hi, Aloons. So, I have a special episode topic for you. Joke's on you. We're doing it to the loon and Real make Real quick question,
0: though. Do, do you see us as plural loons or one loon? Because I think of us as, like, one loon, like the mega Collectively. Like, in, like, Power Rangers, you know, where they yeah. come together and make that one thing. Yep. That's, like, I think it's one loon. Yeah. yeah. I
1: think, I think... I think we're both. I think that yeah. collectively we are the loon. Mm-hmm. And we could be like, yeah, Eric's Eric is like a loon. Laura is a loon. Like, you know, it's one of, the, I don't know. Mm-hmm. We're, all we'll,
0: we'll we're all parts of the bird.
1: We're all parts of the bird. just I'm... each
0: a juicy drumstick off that loon. <laughs> um,
1: so... I want to be the red beady eye. Um...
0: You are the red beady eye.
1: <laughs> so I have a special episode topic for you. How to engage with social media and readers at the different stages in your author career. Great question, yes. This comes from something I saw on Twitter this week. um, And then they included a screenshot below. We'll talk about it. More and more, I'm seeing authors with ginormous platforms calling out specific individuals for bad reviews and critiques or just generally being weird, in parentheses, Joyce Carol Oates. (laughs) I think I'd be super uh I think it'd be super interesting to get some advice on what to do and what not to do once you start gaining more readers and with them more followers p s my guess is if you would sold literally millions of books and are bathing in success, you don't get to say that one single in parentheses the uh <laughs> one
0: yeah.
1: um bad review broke your heart.
0: Oh God, I'm glad someone brought this question to us Okay um, so we are let's just start. We're not going to do the whole recap of the Sarah Desson thing. That is not going to happen. Um, because yeah. Only, truly only, we were going to do it, but everyone has heard the story by yeah. now.
1: So if you it, haven't heard the story, if you've been living under a rock or have been sick with an adult ear infection like me, mm-hmm. this, um, to Luna May Concern, while being about general questions, is referring to the incident last week where Sarah Desson basically screenshotted a... Portion of an article where, wherein a teenage girl who was in college talked about how she disliked Sarah Dessen. Right. Okay, moving on from that. Oh, a bunch of authors piled on, including like Celeste Ng and like Roxanne Gay, and then they all apologized. Anyways, it's
0: a, yeah, we it was a to, whole yeah, thing. It's a whole thing. It's blown over now, but like it did make me think. So like the fundamental of this question is like...
1: How should you behave?
0: How should you behave if you've got... And it just comes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier and what kind of unifies some of the things in the show. It's just power. It's just power. Like, you have to be able, and this is something that I think publishing struggles with so much, is you have to be able to look at a situation. In any situation, it, when it relates to books or anything like this, any sort of publishing decision, who has the power? Mm-hmm. And in this situation, what did we have? We had a undergrad student... Yep. At a small. Who was
1: quoted in a tiny, a, tiny article.
0: At a small college, quoted in a local paper. Yep. Versus, and versus is a strong word because, like, I don't think this person was seeking out opposition. You no. Know? Like, versus an author who has made a very, very lucrative and name brand career yes. out of their work. And they have, you know, on Twitter at least, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers. Like, all this, like, these two forces are not the same and so for the person you know in this case Sarah Dessen to get online and say that this one person mentioning their book in a negative way was somehow deep, to them. deeply damaging to mm-hmm. them you know they they said like they called the language dehumanizing or they said you know authors are people too implying that this person was like t- like
1: all this th- all this girl said was this they were too cho- was she was on a committee <laughs> Choosing a book for her entire school to read, and all she said was, "I joined so that people wouldn't wouldn't pick Sarah Desson because she was interested in reading a book about social justice, they and they a, picked a they book picked about a book social out. justice." Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're, see, we're, see. Now we're getting. I'm tempted to like get into it, but we're not going to get, gonna into, get into, it. into it. They because I have too many strong feelings about it. But, um, <laughs> like in ter- so just to like keep to the parameters of this question, like, what do you do? How do you decide? And the question I think is like really ask yourself. So let's say you're like mid because it's it's tricky when you're like I feel like it's easy to kind of see if you I mean in general Mm -hmm. let's start with this position in general it's kind of a bad look to like respond to your reviews right like just it's kind of like you know kind of a basic axiomatic advice don't you know, get mad at your book reviews because it makes you look kind of... Honestly,
1: don't read them. If you're on Goodreads, yeah. Yeah. sign the fuck out.
0: Oh, definitely. I'm not even talking about... Oh, yeah, good. and I guess this is more analogous to Goodreads because it is just one person who was not on a professional platform. Like, so... Yeah, definitely don't. I, don't. I can't think of a single reason to get on Goodreads and look at stuff. But Or
1: like, look at your book on Amazon or anything like that. No, like, that, let yeah. your let your agent
0: yeah, have go a Google
1: that. alert for you and yeah. they'll send you the good things. Yeah, that was
0: something Connor Goldsmith was talking about. He was right about that. Like, it, it's... But so, like, let's just say, like, you get reviewed somewhere and it doesn't go well. Right? Like, they don't like your book. Mm-hmm. I think, like the question becomes are you is this actually going to hurt you is it or what first of all was it unfair like you yeah. know a lot is of it peop- is it
1: hurting your careers or hurting your feelings
0: great way to put it great way to put it and like even if it's hurting your career like the savvy way to handle it is just to move on and keep the conversation on your terms right like but in general like and you see this like this isn't just like an author thing like you know last a couple months ago i think it was back in september um Right. Like Lana Del Rey got really mad at a review about her new album. Right. Mm -hmm. And like Lana Del Rey is someone with millions and millions and millions of fans. You know, she's someone who probably could shrug that off and millions of people are going to buy her music anyway. You know, like it's. There's just a certain point, I think, especially when you're this big, as this as this person writing this note suggests, if you, like, as they put, let's put it how they put it, if you have sold literally millions of books and are bathing in success, you don't get to say that one single bad review broke your heart. And
1: Even if it does.
0: And so here's Even the thing. Even
1: if it does.
0: So the missing word here is publicly, mm-hmm. right? This is what the group text is for. <laughs> <laughs> no, this
1: I'm is serious. what the Slack channel is. I
0: don't know. I'm absolutely serious. Like, it is actually, so... I'm not telling anybody how to feel about anything. Like I'm a petty person.
1: Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm say, sorry. Was I supposed what? to say really? You're <laughs> to,
0: you magnanimous, even handed you? Or We're both petty incredibly
1: per- <laughs> petty people, so it's fine.
0: But like pettiness is for your friends. It's for the people who aren't who can keep like who aren't aren't going to let you make a fool of yourself on the internet. Right? So- like it's it's <laughs> And it's going to keep you from that classic phrase, punching down. Like, what you don't want to do is use the fact that you have a giant platform. And actually, this is probably the way to think about It's like, anytime, anyone who's on Twitter who has any kind of following, and I, like... Very rarely that's me because I only have a couple thousand followers at this point. But sometimes someone will reply to you and it's stupid. And you have this temptation, right? It's like, oh, I could just quote tweet them and I'll get all these faves for dunking on them or whatever it is, you know. And it's like you have to kind of think about it for a second though. Am I just trying to get my followers to like (laughs) – make this person feel bad and that's
1: how i got chris pratt to dm me to apologize (laughs) about being dumb
0: because he dunked on me he did dunk on you he did well so that's actually a really it's actually a really indicative situation right like chris said something that you thought was offensive you replied laying out why he thought it was offensive and he
1: sicked millions of people no he did
0: and so that's what happened. and he
1: apologized for it later but but
0: the point is like he in the moment he quote tweeted you knowing or he should have known that he's
1: a little bit dumb some yeah
0: <laughs> someone of his like he knows that there are millions of people and you have to know with your following whatever stage in your author are. yeah how many this is a, this is the way to think about it. how many people are watching you right now and how many people are following you right now and like if the answer is like a lot and more than the person you're talking to then the answer is probably to just lay off and just let it go because those people are there for you anyway. You've got them outnumbered. And like, so
1: there, there's something there's something here that I want to really like make sure. Erica's Erica's touching on it, but I want to make sure that we're really clear here. Follower count is not specifically the only thing that we're talking about. When right, you yeah, when you true. are when you are a creator, when you are an artist. And you create fans, there's an emotional connection there. Like there are people who are emotionally connected to your work. And in a lot of ways, by you as an individual pointing towards another individual who hurt you for some reason, what you're do what you're doing is you are presenting a line for all the people who are emotionally connected to your work to also feel hurt. And yes. so you are sending them like fandom is a very <coughs> volatile and dangerous thing. And so what you're doing is you're sending those people, you're you're giving them permission to attack that person because they are They're making you too. feel bad. You're hurting those your fans that appreciate you.
0: You're saying you feel this with me. Yes. And react however you'd like accordingly. Yes. And there's a lot of people so this is how like this is this is not I don't think. I mean, I guess well Related to the situation, it is sort of what happened. But I don't think that was necessarily intent. But for people who are intending to, like, get on the internet and harass people, um, this is how it happens, right? Like, they do that, and they know full well that they are inciting a feeling in the people that follow them. And they are saying, basically, like, I myself am not going to be the one to harass this person off the internet. But if I show them in a certain light to all the people I know are paying attention to my feed... Those people might do it for me because they're going to react in a certain right. way that I can then claim plausible deniability for having. I never sent them to do any of my – I don't right. support any of my
1: followers to do that. Exactly. But the thing is, exactly. is like you have fostered a career about having emotional connections with strangers with these
0: people, right? Exactly.
1: <laughs> and when you are hurt, by extension, you are like that. That those words. Are affecting their enjoyment of your product, yeah. Because you are making you are confronting them with the fact that somebody has said something bad about the thing that they love, yeah. And so, like, I think I think it's a little simplistic to say like don't punch down and like good vibes only and all of those catch for, and don't feed the trolls and all that shit. But like,
0: yeah, that's truly, not. Truly, yeah.
1: truly, like. You have a responsibility to control your narrative. To
0: understand the power dynamic. And yeah.
1: understand understand your power dynamic. And so there's a lot of things in particularly like the YA and the science fiction and fantasy areas where people will talk about, you know, like young writers will make friends with other young writers or whatever. And then once they experience a little bit of fame, they kind of drop those young writers off. And there's this kind of idea of like social climbing and and and, and all of it is kind of based around power. Right. Right. And so I think really, like, at the core of how should you behave, like, fundamentally there shouldn't be a huge difference between how you behave as a baby writer and how you behave as a Sarah Dessen. There's not a difference because you shouldn't be shitty in any of those places. Like, I think being open and magnanimous, like, it's up to you who you have conversations with, who you interact with, and in what way you interact with them. But the thing is, is, like, with the only thing that changes from being a baby writer to being a Sarah Dessen is the number of people mm-hmm. who have a stake in how you feel. Right. That's it. That's the only thing.
0: Yep. I think that that's a good place to end it honestly. I mean, I think like so that's the idea like we are not saying and I we've said I think we've made this point plenty on the show. We are not saying don't feed the trolls. That's different than this point definitely definitely punch the nazis yeah Yeah. no like some yeah it's but we're talking about when you are like when you look at the situation are you the big account are you the famous person like probably don't pick on the reviewer and i guess like sometimes if like the review really is in bad faith first of all tell your you know Talk to, like, a bunch of different people, (laughs) like, offline, your friends, your agent, whoever it is. Yeah, think about it. Sleep on it. Like, don't...
1: Read a curry recipe out loud on a radio show.
0: (laughs) Just don't get on the internet and do that. And, like, yeah. I mean, I'm, like, I just... I'm, like, my whole take on that whole situation is like on the tip of my tongue but we're out of time so we are going <laughs> to avoid that before I get in any more trouble um, thank
1: you so much for joining us <clears throat> on this episode of Print Run Um, it is Thanksgiving this week you will have special episodes to listen to while you this are month. ignoring yep. your family um, and we will see you for a regular episode at the first Tuesday of December
0: woohoo <laughs>